everyone, and welcome to another episode of Meta. I'm your host, Jay Larson, and I am very excited to have on as a very special guest this week, Matt McMatt, Matt, 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 or Matthew McWaters. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? Hey, Jay. How are you doing? I'm or, sorry. Go ahead. I asked you a question. <laughs> I am super. Uh, what, what were you going to say? Uh, I'm good as well. I, uh, I'm still still riding the hype of actually being able to go to a convention, and so, you know, it's been... It's just been the most hype I've been in a long time. Nice. So, uh, my I have to admit, my my circle of friends did not uh, fare very well as far as uh, dodging, making their I guess constitution save and and dodging the the coronavirus at uh, at Adepticon. How did how did your friends do? Well, so this is like the really funny thing. Like everyone I know caught COVID. Uh, <laughs> like. Like, and literally everyone I hung out with the whole weekend, everyone caught COVID. I have, like, four negative COVID tests since I've been back. I don't know. And no symptoms? No symptoms, yeah. I'm, like, yeah. <clears throat> I'm like the only person, like, I was basically, like, making out with other people with COVID the, the whole weekend and uh, <laughs> didn't catch it at all. Well, congrats to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like... I got back. I was like tired the first day. Had a little bit of sniffles the first day, and I was like, "Ooh, let's pay attention to this," you know. And then like day two, they were all gone, and I was like, "Okay, cool. Like we're chilling." Nice. Yeah. I mean, I so when I planned things around Adepticon, um, Brian was was still very concerned about me bringing something home, and so we I planned it where I went to Chicago and. Wednesday night had dinner with some friends and Thursday morning had breakfast with a couple of friends. And then I went to a friend's house that lives in Chicago and we just had like a little mini con in his basement. And I literally didn't leave his, his basement that whole weekend. And so of the, of the people I ate with at the start, and then they obviously went and stayed at Adepticon. Um, it was eight people and, and three of them ended up getting uh, COVID. So it sounds like it was uh, pretty prevalent at the con, but I'm, I'm glad that you were one of the people that managed to dodge it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it was kind of a nail biter because uh, to fly back to Canada, um, mm. you have to have a negative COVID test. Right. So I'm like sitting there like at the airport waiting for my COVID test to come back negative so that I can fly. And I'm like, and, like, as I'm sitting at the airport, my friends are messaging me being like, oh, I just tested positive for COVID. And I'm just like, uh, oh. Uh, were any of them ones who had to fly back to Canada? No, no, no. no. Okay, well, good. Well, I mean, what do they, when that happens, I, I assume, do you have to, like, put yourself up in a hotel or something? Or what? What's the yeah, protocol? Yeah, you get, you get, they delay your flight until, like, you're, they, they rebook you on a flight until you have a negative test, basically, and you have to stay at a hotel. And the hotel's at your expense, I assume? Yes. I'm super, super glad uh, you didn't get COVID, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a, it would have turned like a fairly expensive trip into like a very expensive trip. Yeah. Um, but now, now it's gone. As of uh, April 1st, we no longer need negative COVID tests to fly. So. Oh, um, nice. Cool. You can just get COVID and spread it everywhere if you so want, I suppose. <laughs> just go to any gaming convention you want to and, and. Spread the love everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they have like a like a. You're supposed to like self isolate when you get back. Right. You're supposed to like right. quarantine and stuff so that you don't give everyone else COVID. But I mean, 
I don't leave my house anyways, so I, I wasn't really too worried about it. Yeah, I mean, there's some some things like in America where you're supposed to self-attest or, you know, like you're, don't do this if you're not having symptoms or you're only allowed to come here without a mask if you are vaccinated. And uh, I I do not have <laughs> the faith in my fellow man that, that people are uh, following these attestations, but I guess that's where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to just depend on where you live, right? Like, yeah. Um, where I live specifically, like everyone's vaccinated pretty much. And like, of course, there is like the minority of people who aren't vaccinated, but uh, I feel like almost everyone I interact with is vaccinated. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> but, um, but they're they're like I do know a few people who aren't vaccinated, and it's like like you're welcome to make a choice as long as you're like you, you just understand you're putting yourself and those you care about at risk. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have a bunch of questions from the community, and so I'm excited to dive in. Obviously, the reason why I, I had you on is uh, you came and you, you went to Adepticon. You won the, the Masters event with Scorn. Um, I guess first off, before we dive in very deep, can you give a quick rundown of the, the list that you played? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I brought a uh, Makeda 2 Jalam pairing, both in the Masters of War theme. And what you're what you're going to see from the Makeda 2 list isn't really anything super crazy innovative. It's like the old Makeda 2 cats from early Mark III. So, but like it has been updated and very, very teched out for the current environment. So we got Makeda 2, we got a Max and a Min Ferox, we got Molokar and a Tiberian, two more Third World Breakers. Uh, Tyrant Redeem, <clears throat> two Extoler Soul Wards, Zadesh with a Gladiator and a Kriya on him, a Swamp Gobber River Raider, and then two Tycoms and a Min Beast Handlers. Uh, <clears throat> and the premise being that a lot of the meta right now isn't prepared for um, Stay Death and Tough No Knockdown and like all these different questions that the list like asks very specifically. Um, and, and it makes the list like very durable to most shooting in, in the game. And then we have a Jalam list, which everyone was not ready for Jalam. Everyone I played Jalam into was like, did he change? Did he get updated? What, what's what's different about him? Like, nothing's different. He literally hasn't changed at all. Um, he, but so the list is Jalam, Moloch, uh, Titan Gladiator, Arkadon, Arkadon, uh, Raider, Shaman, all in his battle group. Then we have two Soul Wards. We have Makeda Zero with a Kriya. We have Redeem. We have a Tycom. We have a Max Ferox. And we have a Min Beast Handler. Um, and the Jalan list was like pretty teched out for specific matchups that I'm sure I'll get into as we, we talk more about this. Well, uh, the, the very first question from Imperial says, Matt, tell me every wonderful detail about the coolest caster in Scorn, Jalan. Yeah, so um, I guess I'll, I'll talk about like how I came to the conclusion of playing Jalan. So I'm a firm believer that... Um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that every everything in War Machine is just a tool. Um, there is no like this is more powerful than this or this is better than this. It's it's all about bringing what's relevant to what you think you're gonna play again. Um, so when I sat down and was like, okay, what do I think everyone's playing right now? Um, so I have a whiteboard in my office, and on the whiteboard I wrote down all of the faction pairings I considered like the most popular, not necessarily the strongest or the best, but what I think other people will play. And the sticking points that I came to, like the things that were rough for my faction to solve, and I feel like are rough for a lot of factions right now, were um, Lilith 4, 
and um, the Lucas Baldwin pairing. I think those were the things I struggled with the most in terms of like finding a credible pairing that covered both. So Makeda 2 can play the Lucas Baldwin matchup. It's actually pretty good for Makeda 2. So I was just looking for a list that was good into um, Lilith 4 and then also very good into Grimkin because Makeda 2 struggles into like the Dreamer with all the heavies built. So um, Jalom kind of covers both matchups in a very interesting way. So Lilith 4 ignores pretty much all defensive tech in the game except for Artifice and Deviation. So Jalam brings, I mean, like, I shouldn't say in the game, but like in Scorn, she ignores almost all the defensive deck. So Artifice of Deviation is the only thing that like really can save your models in a meaningful way. So I was like, okay, we have an Artifice of Deviation. And then like, what do we put in it? So Molokarn's the best thing to put in it because um, if you can force the Lilith player to reroll, the math gets really weird and really bad for her killing anything. And then you can put Arcanons because they're Def 18. You can put um, Def 18. And then, um, like, the, the list kind of evolved from there. And then, like, the Ferox were in addition to enable me to have 19-inch threat range in melee to kind of push Ravagors and, like, Archers and stuff back. Um, and they also do, like, they're really good in, like, if the, if the Lilith player drops his off list or whatever, then they, they tend to be pretty good tools into that matchup as well. Um, so... So basically, we did a, I did a ton of testing with Jalam. Big shout out to the uh, the guys who played Lilith Ford to me until their eyes bled. Um, thank you for losing all those games. Um, they helped me helped me win big. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it, it was interesting. Like just like the nuances of like where Jalam's prey has to go and when you want to feed and like what models you can give up uh, and let die and still win the game. Um, there's just like a lot of like little points you have to understand about that matchup to be able to win it reliably. And it wasn't until probably my fifth or sixth game in that matchup that I really understood like how the math worked out and like positioning and all that stuff. Um, so Jalam slaps, big fan. Turns out his gun's really good. Artifice and Deviation's really good. Uh, Road to War or Warpath, sorry, is really good. Beat can be really oppressive. All right, so we've got another set of questions from Tokenator. Uh, his first one is, I have recently started scoring myself and am wondering, what would you do with Zakar? So, Zakar is like one of the best and worst warlocks in Scorn. Um, he has like a really cool that does a lot of really good things. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways you can play him. I really like playing the Zakar in Masters of War. Like, I know like the typical wisdom is you play him in. Um, uh, Disciples of Agony to get him Sack Pawn. But A, I don't think Sack Pawn actually saves him very much in the current meta. And B, he doesn't have Pathfinder innately. And in Masters of War, you can take a Tyrant Commander to give him Pathfinder or plus two movement when he walks. So you can kind of like get that like ex- like really long, really long application of mortality range and then get the repo five on um after casting it, which is huge. Um, and then, like, it also gives you access to, like, Ferox and Makeda Zero and a ton of other synergies. So, like, Zakar with Pathfinder from a Tycom, plus two movement from Makeda Zero and plus one defense. And then um, uh, Repo 5 that he has innately from his kit. He can, like, charge in really far, kill some stuff, get the Alpha Hunter triggered, Repo 5 back or sprint from an Arcadon back um, to a safer position after, like, you know, casting Immortality and feeding and whatever. And, like, feeding to protect Ferox is pretty strong. Um, 
you get Malakarn and Tiberian in that theme, so you get to have two really solid character beasts. Um, so Masters of War is like just really good. You you could play them there. You could play them in Disciples of Agony still. There's really nothing wrong with that theme. Um, you could take them with Death Archons and like Sentries and Turtles and um, really build like an, an Agonizer and a Kriya and really build like an insanely high arm skew. Um, you get your Turtles to like arm 27 against living models, which is just like they're not going to die to living models. So like if you're if you have a matchup where you're like, man, I really need to survive these arm 20 or these power 23 warp wolves. Well, it turns out that'll do it. Um, so that that's that's probably where I would go as a car. Um, until Scorn gets like a little bit better shooting as a faction, I don't think he's going to be great in Winds of Death. But that, if we do get like some good solos or um, something that has a little bit more synergy with guns, then he'd probably be great in Winds as well. Uh, the next question from Tokenator. He says, I love Pharaoh and their interactions in Scorn. Uh, any Warlock suggestions for running a Brigand heavy gun line? Yeah, so the the like conventional wisdom on this is Morgul 2, right? You get Mortality, you get the Blind. Um, Morgul 2 in Disciples of Agony is great. Um, he gets even better with Makeda 0. Um, so I think Morgul 2 is probably the easy, easy, easiest answer here. Um, in fact, I think that's just, like, the play. You get Makeda 0 with Malakarn. You get Morgul 2. You can incorporeal Malakarn. You can plus 2 movement Morgul 2. He can walk up, like, a million inches and blind everything in Mortality and then repo back. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty actually disgusting. Um, I don't really know if there's anything else that synergizes meaningfully with the Brigands. Like, Makeda 1's feet can interact with minion models, which is really cute. Um... Zakar, his feet and mortality both synergize, but I don't know if that's better better access than Mortal 2. Um, I think that's probably the only things that really have synergies in any, any meaningful way. All right, so next question from Tokenator. He says, uh, Scorn used to be the Zal 2 plus X faction, but I noticed you didn't run him. Was it a meta call? Did you think the great update lifted the other themes up to the level of the Exalted? Or is the theme in a worse place now than pre-update? So Zal 2 is like the theme that time forgot. Um, he hasn't changed. His list hasn't changed meaningfully since his release. And that was fine when Zal 2 was like the dominant force in the meta, right? Like Zal 2 for three years or something like that was just like being super dominant everywhere he went. Um, but the rest of the game advanced on. So, like, now you have Thamorite Archons and Dezen Gubbin and Malvin 2 and all these other random solos and units and updates and all the stuff that make all the other armies better at dealing with Zal 2. Because one of the, like, big problems with CID was that everyone always wanted to um, build, build answers to the most, like, the most problematic things in the meta. So, like... If Zaltu was really good, then the next couple CIDs that came out, everyone would be like, oh, this is good, but does it beat Zaltu? And, like, it's just, like, not a not a healthy way to do it. But that aside, that is what happened every single CID, right? When, like, Tharn were really dominant, every CID that happened after Tharn was about beating Tharn. When Zaltu's dominant, every CID that happened after Zaltu was about beating Zaltu. Um and that, that's kind of like the cycle we found ourselves in. And, and you know, like that's good and bad, good and bad things about it. But um, it does mean that as time goes on, factions like, or factions, uh, lists like Zaltu 
end up having more and more weaknesses and more and more things targeted at them. Um, so I think that's that's my personal decision not to bring Zal2 was I looked at Zal2 and I said, how likely is this going to be a meaningful set of tools for the matchups I'm going to play? And then I said, it's not very likely, so I didn't bring it. And that, that, was, that was just like all of this. There's also a lot of value, in my opinion, to go to an event and you know all of the uh you know top players in the event will have gotten a lot of reps versus zaltu immortals and then the common response to someone like jalam is like he said like what is what's going on with him does he like no one's no one's gotten any uh practice or reps or thought about what how they're going to respond to you know jalam or you know etc and so I, i i do think that that has some advantages for you as well yeah, that's actually a really, really important point to bring up. Um, that's like 100% a big decision process for me every single con is, can I bring a pairing that no one really has meaningful practice against? Um, so Jake, circa 2016 or 17, at Warfare Weekend, when he unleashed Callus 1 on the world for the first time, told me like, yeah, this is like my, I, I always play my own stuff because um, people just have less practice into it. Same same thing you mm-hmm. do. And it has it has stuck with me to this day. So that's like just like always my strategy. I will always play my own bruise and always play my own weirdness because people just don't have the meaningful practice into it. And that's a good place to be as the, the guy playing it. Alright, so next question from Tokenator. He says, is a Praetorian's form list with Makeda 2 competitively viable? or better left at the casual tables? I mean, it depends what you mean by competitively viable. I think there's a, a big misnomer, or maybe a misattribute, mis- oh my god, English. Uh, we misattribute a lot of things <laughs> to being competitive or uncompetitive. So um, as someone who plays a lot of conventions, uh, well, I did before COVID, uh, the the like way I tend to look at like lists and if they're good, bad, tool, if the tools are relevant, whatever, is how likely it is that I'll run into the matchups that it's good against. So, like, at Adepticon, I played against almost exclusively CG and, and Lilith 4. Those, like, I only had two games that weren't CG or Lilith 4, the whole con. And um, in, in those matchups, the, the Swordsman Swarm is not very good. Um, between Scathers, Thamorite Archons, just, like, good AoE damage, stuff like that, it's just it's not it, they're not they're they're not very good in those matchups. But if you want to beat Karch, Kador Karchev too, or you know a lot of other lists, they're perfectly fine. So it's it's about understanding when they're going to be good and when they're not going to be good. Um, I don't I don't think there's a, a black and white answer um, on on anything. I think the game like the meta of the game is a bit ambiguous ambiguous uh, innately, and you have to just make calls on what you expect to see. All right, so next question from Tokenator. He says, has the Titan Gladiator been discarded enough to take back Rushbot duties from the Terrorizer? Discounted enough, sorry. Yeah, I mean, Terrorizer is only allowed in Disciples of Agony or if you played Naresh. And let's be real, you're not playing Naresh. So um, I think the Gladiator is better than Terrorizer now. I think at 13 points, the Gladiator is actually pretty compelling. Um, his closest equivalent would be like a Toro. And I think a Gladiator slight, is slightly better than a Toro in most situations. Um, so I think the Gladiator's great. Um, 
I, 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 in my playtesting, I had a list with like six gladiators in it, and uh, it was actually really, really good. I was surprised by how good it was. But uh, it turns out that a list that spans six of the same war beasts generally isn't going to have very much uh, flex in how it plays. So I uh, put, it, put it on the shelf. Uh, f- final uh, <laughs> uh, question from Tokenator. Um, he says he asks if you, if you are doing a, a Titan Herd list, uh, how many would you aim to include in the list? Um, so it's going to depend on, like, what caster you're running and stuff. I, like, I played on Titan Herd with Xerxes too, and it was super fun. So we had Tiberian, we had a bronze back, we had a ton of gladiators. Um, so um, Tiberian on the bronze back is 33 points, and then um, gladiators are 13, each one after that. I had I had double min beast handlers, so we probably had, what, four? Four gladiators on top of that, so six war beasts. Um, so I, I would say... Five to six war beasts is probably five to six heavies is probably the threshold of what you're going to be able to take. All right, I lied. There was a bonus question from Tokenator. He says, uh, "Have the discounts brought back Fistofalox slash Cataphract spam back?" So I did test a Cataphract spam list, and it was okay. Um, I think the problem is they're just like a little too soft overall, um, like. So 11, was it 11, 15? Uh, it's not really impressing anyone. Even like even at 11 points for a six-man unit, um, thinking about the Incendiary, um, it, it's like they're good, but like not good enough that they're like winning games on their own. I think you could play it, but I think it, the Cataphract Spam has a lot more problems than solutions. Um, one of the major issues being, of course, access to Pathfinder. Um, you only have two Tycoms in your list, so it's like kind of really hard. Like if you're taking like five units of these idiots, um, it's kind of hard to fit a lot of like Pathfinder solutions in. And then like, well, Caster, you you run them with like Xerxes one, and then like now it becomes like this whole problem of like, why aren't you just running Ferox? Because Ferox threat further and all this stuff are more flexible. Um, I think there's a, a a world where you could run it, um, but you would have to have some very specific matchups you were aiming for. All right, so our next question. Uh, these are coming from Dragon Pup. Uh, he says, I think many of us have a soft spot lore-wise for Hexorus, but uh, hi- historically his tabletop performance has not been quite top tier. Uh, do either Hexorus have a place in the current meta? If, and if not, what would you like to see them change to? Yeah, I actually did a lot of playtesting with Hexorus 1 and 2. I was like, super convinced that I can make them work. Um, and it just never pans out. Like, um, so, so Hexorus one theoretically is like really good into crucible guard because like if they play the like dude list into you, you just kill a dude. He walks over, kills a dude that that walks over and then kills another dude. Like it's like, you just get to kill all the dudes on your feature. And it's like, it's, it's theoretically really cool. But how it actually works in reality is you get the off list that has no dudes in it, and then you have no feet. And then you're just really sad. Like, and you're just like, Mer. And then Hexorus 2 just doesn't do anything at all. Like, he, he needs a lot. Um, there was a time in War Machine when power 10s were good. Now support models have power 10s. So 
Um, I, I don't think, I think that the, the, their core concepts need to be changed a little bit. They're just like a little outdated. Um, Hex vs. One needs to have um, the same role that Nexus has for channeling through his battle group, um, similar to Hex vs. Two, I suppose. And he also needs to have like a feat that does something other than that, whatever, whatever his feat does. Maybe his feat just needs to be like, you summon a unit of Banes or things. Like that would be equally cool to me. Um, and would give you some flex in your list. Um, Hexorus 2 needs a damage buff of some kind for his army. He needs to have, like... I mean, like, a cool thing would be to remove... What is he have? Hellfire? Remove Hellfire and give him, like, Disintegrate or something like that so that he can actually, like, have a threatening nuke. I mean, Disintegrate would actually just be great. That's what I would do. Easy fix. Easy money. Hell yeah. Uh, next question from Dragon Puppy says... Uh, Winds of Death, does it have a place, or is it a poor man's Disciples of Agony? I actually love Winds of Death. Uh, Winds of Death is great, because it's the only thing that lets you take a Supreme Guardian and Turtles together. So you can play the Cool Rasheth list that um, was popular 2019, 2018. Um, that list still is like phenomenal. It's great. Um, you, you, the thing you can't do with Winds of Death is play like a gun line because the list doesn't have actually have like any synergies for a gun line. Um, <laughs> yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what it does really well though, is it gives you a wall, which you're like, Oh, it's a wall, but like walls are really, really strong in scorn. You can put, you know, Malakarn behind it or Jalam behind it, or, you know, like the list goes on the list. It, the list of things that it allows are really strong. It's just, it's like obvious intention isn't there. All right, so next question. Uh, this is from David. He says, uh, the Makeda Cats list seems eerily f- familiar to something that was at the top of the food chain pre-themes. Has something changed in the meta that made it possible to play again, or have people just been sleeping on it? Um, a little of column A, a little of column B, a little of column C. So Makeda 2 received some massive changes in the big update. Um, she gained the Foresight special rule, which allows her to use the Warlock healing spell uh, before she pulls in Fury from her beats. And due to an Infernal ruling, the you can do this even if everything's full health. So she can camp six every turn and then drop all six if she so wants to before she pulls in Fury. Um, this is brilliant. I love everything about this rule. Next, she has a rule called Reckless Arcana. It was given to her and to Butcher 2. Um, Reckless Arcana is when a model in her battle, the first time a model in her battle group, no wait, that's not right. Uh, once per turn, when a model in her battle group destroys an enemy model with a melee attack, uh, you can cast a spell with three or less cost for free. Um, this is probably one of the most important things to playing her now. Um, sending Moloch Karnan and he like boops a dude, sidesteps back, repos five back, and then you cast like a deflection or storm rager for free. Or even like the the like an animus for free or something is like really really strong. Um, a lot of the times it's a deflection for free and you're camping six with deflection up, and then like your cats are in like the Kriya aura and like Malakarn's like behind a wall in a Kriya aura with deflection. So like you're just like basically immune to guns um, or very resistant to guns, I guess I'll say. Um, so I don't think people were really sleeping on her though. I think these changes did a lot to help her. The changes to Ferox also helped the list immensely. So Ferox went from boosted on their first damage roll after they 
pounce to plus two to hit and damage to all damage rolls after they pounce. So it's <clears throat> it's like the same potential damage, but just more consistent in your mat eight instead of mat six, which is huge. Um, so I think those are very big changes that do a lot for making the list better. Um, and I, I think a, since since Farn fell out of the meta and a lot of infantry lists fell out of the meta, people aren't bringing as much like mortality and grievous and anti-healing. So you get to use stay death more easily, which makes it better, right? Um, so that's why, that was like the reasons why Makeda 2 feels so strong right now. All right, so next question from Harrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, Rasheth seems to be an amazing caster, and in the past, a local player has had a lot of success with him. How come he never appears in competitive lists at events? Um, well, I think I think there was a long period of time where Rasheth was in competitive pairings. Um, I know I played Rasheth at several cons in 2018, and Bubba in 2018-2019 played Rasheth frequently uh, at events and did really well. He played Rochette at WTC 2019, I want to say, and did great. Um, I think um, the reason you don't see Rochette be commonly used by more people is that he is extremely challenging to play well. Um, he has a lot of tools that you can like use easily and apply easily, but understanding what is the best, what you need to attack, what you need to do, and how you need to position can be extremely challenging with him. And I think a lot of people start playing him and they go, oh, God, this is like he's not very good or, oh, God, he's too hard or whatever. And then they move on to something that's like a little bit little bit easier to digest. And I think as a community, we oftentimes like like we, we, we look at things that are easy to have success with and say these are strong. And then we look at things that are challenging to have success with and say these are not as strong. But I think it's that's not always the case. And I think we as a community need to kind of accept that, like, if something's challenging to succeed with, it sometimes means it's just, like, a higher floor and a higher ceiling to its success. Um, Yeah. All right. So, um, next questions. We have a a slew of questions from Benup. Thank you, Benup. You are awesome. Um, His his first question is, how to win Hoksun? How to win the Hoksune? Yes, I guess. Yes, I isn't guess the, I said it wrong. Isn't but. the Hoksune like the the scorn Bushido? I believe so. Yes. I, I I don't know how to win. I mean, it's just it use use melee weapons and hit things in the face until they're dead. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so next question, he says, I've been struggling with Crucible Guard. Uh, the few times I'm actually matched up there, I've been lucky to dodge them a bit. Um, but how does a typical game play out with them? Is it heavily scenario and terrain dependent, or can a list pair be constructed that can handle Crucible Guard, read Lucas Gearhart or Lucas Silvestro, regardless of the circumstances? Yeah, so Makeda 2 is what you're looking for. Um, Makeda 2 is like the best Crucible Guard drop in the Scorn, I think. It's, it's actually insane how good it is. So... Let's talk about this matchup a little bit here. So, all right. <clears throat> the, so let's talk about like the train matchup. So there's two typical builds of Crucible Guard. There's like trains, trains and warjacks, and dudes, dudes and like maybe a Vulcan. So if they're running a Vulcan, the Vulcan's going to be with Baldwin, and if they're running the Vulcan, it's going to be dudes and a Vulcan. If they're running um, trains, it's probably going to be with Lucas. So 
the Lucas matchup. So at Adepticon, I ran into Watts. Watts was playing Lucas with dudes. It's a anti-living death skew. It has good attrition value, TK, good assassination pressure. The problem with the list is it only has like five or six attacks a turn. And if the list only has five or six attacks a turn that are like really meaningful, then stay death means that he kills no models a turn. So if you position well, trade well, and kind of like understand how threat ranges work and like what you need to trade pieces for, um, stay death just completely alters the map, the math of the matchup, right? Like it takes it takes six, seven attacks to potentially kill one model, not factoring in tough, not factoring in missing and the model dodging away and what have you. Um, so, so that's like a core concept that you have to understand against like the medium baseless is you out threat them by like five to six inches. Um, well, set, between five to seven inches on like the random game states and your feet means you're reliably hitting and your damage is like just enough that you kill them pretty reliably. So if you can like feet take a bunch of models and then stay death to protect the models that are important, you probably win the matchup. Um, and so this this is like a lot of Crucible Guard players will drop the list with, if they have a Vulcan in their pairing, will drop their Vulcan if they see McKid do, thinking that it's like very good against stay death. But due to how threat ranges work, Molokarn gets to bully the Vulcan and control where it is, and then um, that means the Vulcan can only shoot to apply its rockets. And if you keep your cats spread out, that means the rockets at most are only killing two cats a turn. So, like, its solution to anti-healing is that it kills two cats, which, you, like, you're pretty okay with. It doesn't really matter too much. Um, and it could even be one cat if you shield guard one of the rockets with type healing. So that's just, like, things you have to understand about how the matchup works. Um, so play the Makeda 2 list. Get practice into the matchups, and if you get practice, you'll find that you're able to win them. Um, I played against Crucible Guard, uh, so there was uh, six games against Crucible Guard, and um, they were they were all wins, obviously. But um, they they some of them were pretty close, um, but they were all like ended with me having a massive clock advantage and a good attrition. Lead. Okay. Well, um, and I guess you have any other. Uh, thoughts on the the Crucible Guard matchup for Scorn? Um, so uh, Makeda Two is the best list in that matchup. I think I think there's other things you could play, but they're just not going to be as good as Makeda Two in that matchup. Um, yeah. I, so the problem is like Crucible Guard's like really wide, right? Like like as much as we're talking about Lucas Baldwin, they could run Sylvester, they could run um, McKay, and like those all change the math of the matchups and how they play out. So I think you really need to pay attention to what's going on and, and get practice if you want to succeed versus Crucible Guard right now. All right. Uh, so next question from Benup. He said, uh, I find it's often difficult to discuss competitive viability for a mostly melee faction, which relies on several support pieces, looking mainly at Beast Handlers, Agonizer Kriya with other people. Is this view too stuck in the scorn mindset or is there a grain of truth to having some taxes built into the faction <clears throat> so my first version of makeda 2 didn't have a kriya and didn't have beast handlers and i played that version for i don't know 20 to 30 games and i think it's actually the better list overall um just in terms of like what tools it actually has for the matchups it plays but um, in a convention setting, 
Having a Kriya means that if you were randomly paired against something you didn't predict, um, you get to just have the Kriya bump animus, right? So like, if you're not playing against stuff that ignores it or stuff that has high enough mat and rat fixing, uh, or sorry, rat and pal fixing that like the Kriya isn't just worthless, it's actually insane in those matchups. And then Beast Handlers only came into my list because I needed something that made the Karchev 2 matchup more playable because i played it i played it without the beast handlers uh five or six times and while i could win the game it wasn't like i could win the game reliably it's like oh i had to like struggle through this and slog and and it was like kicking water uphill it was rough um so the beast handlers came in and they were enough of a damage buff to my beasts to allow me to win those matchups pretty reliably um so i i would say that like of course, like having support units in your army does feel like a tax, and as we all know, um, that that like taxes suck. Um, so you you have to, but like it's like anything else, it's a tool. So you have to understand when the tool is good and when it's not. So if like you play in a meta and you're not traveling to events or whatever, and you're just playing like a, me- a local meta and you're playing against a bunch of people, um, you you should have to evaluate like whether those matchups are going to be the ta- the support is going to be important for those matchups but if you are going to events and you you want to have like the most flexibility sometimes support is worth having like i didn't know if i was going to play against Karchev 2 at adepticon i didn't know if i was going to play against uh what's a good example of something that kriya is actually really good at into um signar as an example siege one or um Haley 2 or or what have you and and the kriya does end up being pretty good into circle as well um, so I, I didn't know if I was going to end up playing those matchups, so I wanted to bring those support items just in case I had to. They make other matchups worse and other matchups better. Um, so, I mean, I guess just be critical of your choices and evaluate them based on what you're going to play. I don't think there's a wrong or a right choice. It's just what you feel is going to provide you with the best results. So once you get to Adepticon it's, you know, and you get your actual matchups, etc., it can be you know, what you end up facing can just be like completely out of the norm or, or it can be exactly what you were uh, hoping for. It can be very random. Um, I'm curious, did, did you feel like the changes you made ended up being justified or they ended up helping out in many of the matches that you ended up playing at Adepticon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So for what it's worth, my pairing was specifically targeted to play against Lilith 4 and Crucible Guard. And that is like like every every point in my list were built for those matchups, and that is 100% the matchups I ended up playing. Um, so I accurately predicted how 99% of my games would play. Um, okay. So so it worked out really well. Like it was it it was just really great. There was one matchup um, I played against Keith Christensen. He played Wormwood into me, um, where my specific list build was actually not very good in that matchup. Um, I would have dropped the Beast Handlers if I was planning to play against Circle. Um, dropped the Beast Handlers and maybe even the Kriya, um, depending on the build. Uh, because like, the Kriya is like, good at like paralyzing Warbolts and stuff, but if you don't have the Beast Handlers, you get to have um, a second max unit of cast instead of the min unit. And that is like phenomenal um, in the Circle matchup. But yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my pairing was pretty targeted and it worked out really well. All right. Uh, so next question from Benup. Um, he says, uh, as a worldly player, as in having played many factions, how do you feel this specific aspect compares to other factions? 
uh, is it even a fair comparison? Should we be comparing this? And so this is, uh, you know, calling back to the, uh, I guess, quote unquote, faction tax that you may have with a Korea or uh, Beast Handlers. Yeah, so I think every faction has like a, a tax associated with it for the most part. Um, it's especially true of like Hordes factions, but like a lot of War Machine factions do as well. Um, and they're all kind of like balanced around the premise of taking these support models. Um, I mean, we, we got, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, uh, and, and a popular thing in list building currently is that a lot of people are just taking tons of support in their lists right now. Like, um, you look at like the CG list right now, they have like double mentalists, double death, dra dragon's breath rockets, tons of mechanics and, uh, Alice and this and that, and like. Legion lists have like blighter cons and, and beast mistresses and all this. Like there's a ton of support because right now giving out buffs to, to models that are powerful is very powerful. Um, hmm. I will say the thing that frustrates me about Scorn the most um, is related to the taxes. So Scorn war beasts are all balanced around the fact that you have a Kriya, an agonizer, and beast handlers and rush from a gladiator to make them good. That's like the 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 balancing point for them. And you really feel it when you compare them to things like work wolves. Um because like work wolves are like they're like just better offensively base, better defensively base in a lot of cases, and um, more flexible on the table. And they cost less now. Or yeah, they just cost less than scoring war beasts. So you like compare the two and you're like, oh, that sucks. And then you compare like a Titan Sentry with Rush and, and an Agonizer and a Kriya and this. And like, oh, no, that's really good. But like, unfortunately, like now we're talking about like a 20 plus point package to make it be like just slightly better than the other one. And it's like, I don't I don't really know. I don't know what the solution is, but I will say that in testing, it didn't feel good to be forced to take a million points of Warbeast just to make one Warbeast feel as good as another faction's Warbeast. It does kind of seem like there are, uh, you know, support models that, that every faction is is interested in, but it also feels like there's some factions that have a lower percentage or that you know, there's, there's sometimes, you know, when I'm thinking of making the Signar list, for example, that I'll be like, you know what, this list, I'm going to have a journeyman Warcaster in, but there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm probably <laughs> the his buff's not really going to matter. I mean, my stuff's going to die anyway. So um, it does. I, I do think that there are variances in in how much uh, different factions end up wanting to take support pieces, which is interesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think Signar's a good example for sure of like you have like a squire and then maybe. A journeyman and that's like you're like you, at most you're spending like 15 points on support if you decide to go all in um, as opposed to like factions like scorn who have you know 27 points of support in their list yeah you look at something like you know scorn or troll bloods or men off uh, there's there can be a pretty big spectrum on the, the two different extremes i guess yeah that's definitely fair all right well we are going to pause here on this first episode uh stay tuned subscribe to the patreon and you can hear the the bonus episode where we will continue uh diving into questions and and plumbing the depths of matt's genius um <laughs> as, as always be sure to check out 
discountgamesinc.com for your gaming needs. And uh, Matthew, thank you very much for uh, your your time and, and the knowledge that you're sharing. Yeah, so, uh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. And, and thank you to uh, the patrons who are supporting the podcast and making this possible. You guys are awesome.